0: chapter two of jefferson and his colleagues by alan johnson this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter two putting the ship on her republican tack president jefferson took office in a spirit of exaltation which he made no effort to disguise in his private letters the tough sides of our argosy he wrote to john dickinson have been thoroughly tried her strength has stood the waves into which she was steered with a view to sink her we shall put her on her republican tack and she will now show by the beauty of her motion the skill of her builders in him as in his two intimates gallatin and madison there was a touch of that philosophy which colored the thought of reformers on the eve of the french revolution a naive confidence in the perfectibility of man and the essential worthiness of his aspirations strike from man the shackles of despotism and superstition and accord to him a free government and he would rise to unsuspected felicity republican government was the strongest government on earth because it was founded on free will and imposed the fewest checks on the legitimate desires of men only one thing was wanting to make the american people happy and prosperous said the president in his inaugural address a wise and frugal government which shall restrain men from injuring one another which shall leave them otherwise free to regulate their own pursuits of industry and improvement and shall not take from the mouth of labor the bread it has earned this he believed was the sum of good government and this was the government which he was determined to establish whether government thus reduced to lowest terms would prove adequate in a world rent by war, only the future could disclose it was only in intimate letters and in converse with Gallatin and Madison that Jefferson revealed his real purposes, so completely did Jefferson take these two advisers into his confidence, and so loyal was their cooperation that the government for eight years has been described as a triumvirate almost as clearly defined as any triumvirate of rome three more congenial souls certainly have never ruled a nation for they were drawn together not merely by agreement on a common policy but by sympathetic understanding of the fundamental principles of government gallatin and madison often frequented the president's house and there one may see them in imagination and perhaps catch now and then a fragment of their conversation gallatin we owe much to geographical position we have been fortunate in escaping foreign wars if we can maintain peaceful relations with other nations we can keep down the cost of administration and avoid all the ills which follow too much government the president after all we are chiefly an agricultural people and if we shape our policy accordingly we shall be much more likely to multiply and be happy than as if we mimicked and amsterdam a hamburg or a city like london madison quietly i quite agree with you we must keep the government simple and republican avoiding the corruption which inevitably prevails in crowded cities gallatin pursuing his thought the moment you allow the national debt to mount you entail burdens on posterity and augment the operations of government the president bitterly the principle of spending money to be paid by posterity is but swindling futurity on a large scale that was what hamilton gallatin just so and if this administration does not reduce taxes they will never be reduced we must strike at the root of the evil and avert the danger of multiplying the functions of government i would repeal all internal taxes these pretended tax preparations treasure preparations and army preparations against contingent wars tend only to encourage wars the president nodding his head in agreement the discharge of the debt is vital to the destinies of our government and for the present we must make all objects subordinate to this we must confine our general government to foreign concerns only and let our affairs be disentangled from those of all other nations except as to commerce and our commerce is so valuable to other nations that they will be glad to purchase it when they know that all we ask is justice why then should we not reduce our general government to a very simple organization and a very unexpensive one a few plain duties to be performed by a few servants it was precisely the matter of selecting these few servants which worried the president during his first months in office for the federal offices were held by federalists almost to a man he hoped that he would have to make only a few removals any other course would expose him to the charge of inconsistency after his complacent statement that there was no fundamental difference between republicans and federalists but his followers thought otherwise they wanted the spoils of victory and they meant to have them slowly and reluctantly jefferson yielded to pressure justifying himself as he did so by the reflection that a due participation in office was a matter of right and how pray could due participation be obtained if there were no removals deaths were regrettably few and resignations could hardly be expected once removals were decided upon jefferson drifted helplessly upon the tide for a moment it is true he wrote hopefully about establishing an equilibrium and then returning with joy to that state of things when the only questions concerning a candidate shall be is he honest is he capable is he faithful to the constitution that blessed expectation was never realized by the end of his second term a federalist in office was as rare as a republican under adams the removal of the collector of the port at new haven and the appointment of an octogenarian whose chief qualification was his republicanism brought to a head all the bitter animosity of federalist new england the hostility to jefferson in this region was no ordinary political opposition as he knew full well for it was compounded of many ingredients in new england there was a greater social solidarity than existed anywhere else in the union descended from english stock imbued with common religious and political traditions and bound together by the ties of a common ecclesiastical polity the people of this section had as jefferson expressed it a sort of family pride here all the forces of education property religion and respectability were united in the maintenance of the established order against the assaults of democracy new england federalism was not so much a body of political doctrine as a state of mind abhorrence of the forces liberated by the french revolution was the dominating emotion to the federalist leaders democracy seemed an aberration of the human mind which was bound everywhere to produce infidelity looseness of morals and political chaos in the words of their jeremiah fisher ames democracy is a troubled spirit fated never to rest and whose dreams if it sleeps presents only visions of hell so thinking and feeling they had witnessed the triumph of jefferson with genuine alarm for jefferson they held to be no better than a jacobin bent upon subverting the social order and saturated with all the heterodox notions of voltaire and thomas paine the appointment of the aged samuel bishop as collector of new haven was evidence enough to the federalist mind which fed upon suspicion that jefferson intended to reward his son abraham bishop for political services the younger bishop was a stench in their nostrils for at a recent celebration of the republican victory he had shocked the good people of connecticut by characterizing jefferson as the illustrious chief who once insulted now presides over the union and comparing him with the savior of the world who once insulted now presides over the universe and this had not been his first transgression he was known as an active and intemperate rebel against the standing order no wonder that theodore dwight voiced the alarm of all new england federalists in an oration at new haven in which he declared that according to the doctrines of jacobinism the greatest villain in the community is the fittest person to make and execute the laws we have now said he reached the consummation of democratic blessedness we have a country governed by blockheads and knaves here was an opposition which if persisted in might menace the integrity of the union scarcely less vexatious was the business of appointments in new york where three factions in the republican party struggled for the control of the patronage which should the president support gallatin whose father-in-law was prominent in the politics of the state was inclined to favor burr and his followers but the president already felt a deep distrust of burr and finally surrendered to the importunities of Witt clinton had formed an alliance with the livingston interest to drive burr from the party despite the pettiness of the game which disgusted both gallatin and jefferson the decision was fateful it was no light matter even for the chief magistrate to offend aaron burr from these worrisome details of administration the president turned with relief to the preparation of his first address to congress the keynote was to be economy but just how economies were actually to be effected was not so clear for months gallatin had been toiling over masses of statistics trying to reconcile a policy of reduced taxation to satisfy the demands of the party with the discharge of the public debt by laborious calculation he found that if seven million three hundred thousand dollars were set aside each year the debt principal and interest could be discharged within sixteen years but if the unpopular excise were abandoned where was the needed revenue to be found new taxes were not to be thought of the alternative then was to reduce expenditures but how and where under these circumstances the president and his cabinet adopted the course which in the light of subsequent events seems to have been woefully ill-timed and hazardous in the extreme they determined to sacrifice the army and navy in extenuation of this decision it may be said that the danger of war with france which had forced the adams administration to double expenditures had passed and that europe was at this moment at peace though only the most sanguine and short-sighted could believe that continued peace was possible in europe with the first consul in the saddle it was agreed then that the expenditures for the military and naval establishment should be kept at about two million five hundred thousand dollars somewhat below the normal appropriation before the recent war flurry and that wherever possible expenses should be reduced by careful pruning of the list of employees at the navy-yards such was the programme of humdrum economy which president jefferson laid before congress after the exciting campaign of eighteen hundred when the public was assured that the forces of darkness and light were locked in deadly combat for the soul of the nation this tame programme seemed like an anti climax but those who knew thomas jefferson learned to discount the vagaries to which he gave expression in conversation as john quincy adams once remarked after listening to jefferson's brilliant table talk mr jefferson loves to excite wonder yet thomas jefferson philosopher was a very different person from thomas jefferson practical politician paradoxical as it may seem the new president of all men of his day was the least likely to undertake revolutionary policies and it was just this acquaintance with jefferson's mental habits which led his inveterate enemy alexander hamilton to advise his party associates to elect jefferson rather than burr the president broke with precedent however in one small particular he was resolved not to follow the practice of his federalist predecessors and address congress in person the president's speech to the two houses in joint session savored too much of a speech from the throne it was a symptom of the federalist leaning to monarchical forms and practices he sent his address therefore in writing accompanied with letters to the presiding officers of the two chambers in which he justified this departure from custom on the ground of convenience and economy of time i've had principal regard he wrote to the convenience of the legislature to the economy of their time to the relief from the embarrassment of immediate answers on subjects not yet fully before them and to the benefits thence resulting to the public affairs this explanation deceived no one unless it was the writer himself it was thoroughly characteristic of thomas jefferson that he often explained his conduct by reasons which were obvious after-thoughts an unfortunate habit which has led his contemporaries and his unfriendly biographers to charge him with hypocrisy and it must be admitted that his preference for indirect methods of achieving a purpose exposed him justly to the reproaches of those who liked frankness and plain dealing it is not unfair then to wonder whether the president was not thinking rather of his own convenience when he elected to address congress by written message for he was not a ready nor an impressive speaker at all events he established a precedent which remained unbroken until another democratic president one hundred and twelve years later returned to the practice of washington and adams if the federalists of new england are to be believed hypocrisy marked the presidential message from the very beginning to the end it began with a pious expression of thanks to the beneficent being who had been pleased to breathe into the warring peoples of europe a spirit of forgiveness and conciliation but even the most bigoted federalists who could not tolerate religious views differing from his own must have been impressed with the devout and sincere desire of the president to preserve peace 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 it was a sentiment which ran through the message like the watermark in the very paper on which he wrote it was the condition the absolutely indispensable condition of every chaste reformation which he advocated every reduction of public expenditure was predicated on the supposition that the danger of war was remote because other nations would desire to treat the united states justly salutary reductions in habitual expenditures were urged in every branch of the public service from the diplomatic and revenue services to the judiciary and the naval yards war might come indeed but sound principles would not justify our taxing the industry of our fellow-citizens to accumulate treasure for wars to happen we know not when and which might not perhaps happen but from the temptations offered by that treasure on all concrete matters the president's message cut close to the line which gallatin had marked out the internal taxes should now be dispensed with and corresponding reductions be made in our habitual expenditures there had been unwise multiplication of federal offices many of which added nothing to the efficiency of the government but only to the cost these useless offices should be lopped off for when we consider that this government is charged with the external and mutual relations only of these states we may well doubt whether our organization is not too complicated too expensive in this connection congress might well consider the federal judiciary particularly the courts newly erected and judge of the proportion which the institution bears to the business it has to perform and finally congress should consider whether the law relating to naturalization should not be revised a denial of citizenship under a residence of fourteen years is a denial to a great proportion of those who ask it and shall we refuse to the unhappy fugitives from distress that hospitality which savages of the wilderness extended to our fathers arriving in this land the most inveterate foe could not characterize this message as revolutionary however much he might dissent from the policies advocated it was not jefferson's way indeed to announce his intentions boldly and hew his way relentlessly to his objective he was far too astute as a party leader to attempt to force his will upon republicans in congress he would suggest he would advise he would cautiously express an opinion but he would never dictate yet few presidents have exercised a stronger directive influence upon congress than thomas jefferson during the greater part of his administration so long as he was en rapport with nathaniel macon speaker of the house and with john randolph chairman of the committee on ways and means he could direct the policies of his party as effectively as the most autocratic dictator when he had made up his mind that justice samuel chase of the supreme court should be impeached he simply penned a note to joseph nicholson who was then managing the impeachment of judge pickering raising the question whether chase's attack on the principles of the constitution should go unpunished i ask these questions for your consideration said the president deferentially for myself it is better that i should not interfere and eventually impeachment proceedings were instituted in this memorable first message the president alluded to a little incident which had occurred in the mediterranean the only exception to this state of general peace with which we have been blessed tripoli one of the barbary states had begun depredations upon american commerce and the president had sent a small squadron for protection a ship of this squadron the schooner enterprise had fallen in with a tripolitan man-of-war and after a fight lasting three hours had forced the corsair to strike her colors but since war had not been declared and the president's orders were to act only on the defensive the crew of the enterprise dismantled the captured vessel and let her go would congress asked the president take under consideration the advisability of placing our forces on an equality with those of our adversaries neither the president nor his secretary of the treasury seems to have been aware that this single cloud on the horizon portended a storm of long duration yet within a year it became necessary to delay further reductions in the naval establishment and to impose new taxes to meet the very contingency which the peace-loving president declared most remote moreover the very frigates which he had proposed to lay up in the eastern branch of the potomac were manned and dispatched to the mediterranean to bring the corsairs to terms chapter two